welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode is with Angela Smith and it's a bit of a reveal as well because she's a podcaster, she's had a podcast, but she's sort of done it under a bit of a pseudonym. So this is her first time kind of coming out and saying that this dating podcast that she's been doing is actually her. And we also talk about her divorce from a very prominent figure in the music world who's now passed away. And they recorded lots of episodes about their relationship actually after they were, you know, split up and broken up and um, shared their story. And it's it's quite a dramatic one, I have to say, and an interesting one. Um, so thank you to Angela for being particularly open with me about all of that. And also we delve into a little bit of dating later in life as well and after divorce. So enjoy this one. I am joined by podcaster and TV and film producer, Angela Smith. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Hello, thanks for having me. It's really nice to meet you. You too. And how how does that feel, me welcoming you to The Divorce Social? I'm just very excited to be able to share my uh, tapestry of experience. <laughs> with, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine with being divorced. It's good. That's a nice way to put it, tapestry. Yeah, like a patchwork quilt. Your life is like a patchwork quilt, isn't it? There's some dark bits and then there's some sunshiny bits. And I think my life is particularly colourful, I think. I'd rather have a colourful one, though, than one that's really bland and beige. Yeah, I was just thinking, though, what would your sort of square on your patchwork quilt to represent divorce look like? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? I, I guess it's it's one of those where you have a really dark tunnel that you're going in. So like a tunnel, but then at the other end is like beautiful sunshine. 
So you have to go through the nasty stuff. But then if you take the right turning out of the tunnel, it's nice and sunny. You take the wrong turning, I suppose you end up in a kind of quagmire of horribleness. But mine would be a little tunnel and then a nice sunshiny with a rainbow. That's nice. I'm imagining like a tunnel drive out of London and then you turn up in some beautiful countryside somewhere and you're on holiday. Exactly. Well, that's a great start to chatting about divorce. Well, divorce is like either a dead end and you and you cry for the rest of your life or it's a brand new beginning and the start of a, an exciting new chapter. And I just picked the second one, really. Do you think you picked the second one straight away or did you have the (laughs) I might cry for the rest of my life stage? It took me about two weeks (laughs) because I'd had a particularly difficult um, person that I was married to. Um, So I was I cried for two weeks. I was very upset for two. And then one day I just woke up and I thought, oh, don't have to worry about him anymore. I don't have to check anything or be paranoid because I don't have to. It's not in my life anymore. And I get to like be free. And it was just a massive revelation. I was I was almost ecstatic, even though I was sad that the, the marriage was over. But I just I'd endured a lot of I'd stayed in it probably far, far longer than a, a sane person would have done. Years longer than a sane person would have done. So it was just it's a bit like having a massive headache. And then when the headache goes away, you think, oh, is this what normality feels like? This is really nice, you know. So it's almost worth the torment for the relief of when it was gone, actually. That doesn't sound too harsh. (laughs) Oh, and so why do you think you stayed in it way longer than a sane person would, as you put it? Um, Because I think fundamentally I was hugely codependent. He was a lovely guy but he had massive issues with drugs and alcohol particularly and infidelity and, and all kinds of bad traits in inverted commas. And, and we had two kids together. So I just, I had this thing where I didn't want my kids to grow up in a broken home. And I also stayed because he was always trying to get well. He was trying to get sober. He was trying to, and he went into rehab after rehab after rehab after rehab. And, uh, he was always displaying and I do think it was a very genuine effort I think he really wanted to be well and so I didn't want to give up on him but then after the third infidelity that I knew about and I'm sure there were many more that I didn't know about that was kind of a step too far but still it was his decision to break up I'd caught him in the act of cheating we had a dramatic car chase um it was it was very exciting and uh, I told him to make a choice and he said I want to be on my own and uh, so it, it was even it, it wasn't even me that left him. He left me, really. But I'm glad that he pushed it to that point. I was very unhappy in those last few months. I mean, I was I was kind of baseline unhappy all the time, really, underpinning everything. But those last last few months in particular, when you know that somebody's cheating and they're barefaced lying, telling you that they're gaslighting you but you keep finding evidence, it drives you a little bit insane, doesn't it? Yeah, wow, that's a lot to to go through. And so you have a dramatic car chase. So how did yeah. did the catching in the act, because you, you said you knew he was lying to your face. So yeah. did you know already and then you were waiting to catch him in the act? My best friend was the fact that I knew his Apple ID and password. And uh, it was in the days of Find My iPhone. 
So I'd caught him texting with somebody inappropriately and phoned the woman up and said, why are you texting with my husband? And and she said to her, we're just friends. It was like, what, just friends who say this to each other? So I kind of had a had an argument with this woman on the phone who was also married. And then uh, he said he was in one place and I caught and I went to where I find my iPhone said he was and he was in the car park of the supermarket with her in the car. So the fishwife in me came out and I had this in the middle of this car park in Malibu. Like my mouth went completely dry and I was shouting. It was weird because I was directing all my anger at the woman, not at him. You know, I was like mad with her um, just because she was so indignant. So then it's the third time I was at my friend's. He said he was in, I called him. He said he was in one place, check find my iPhone. And I saw he wasn't. So I thought, right. (laughs) So, I drove to where he was and he was at this gas station in Malibu by the Pacific Coast Highway. And I pulled in and they he, she was in the car with him and they saw me and they tore off down the Pacific Coast Highway. And it was it was literally like a scene out of Starsky and Hutch. Uh, the, the ocean was on the right. The sun was setting. And I, I was in this battered old PT cruiser just chasing like you know when when your adrenaline takes over and nothing else matters around you other than the task in hand and I don't know why I was chasing him down the street but it it lasted about I don't know three or four minutes and then he pulled in which and I don't know why he pulled the car in he could have just carried on and I got out of my car and there were traffic running I could have easily got knocked down but I was just like this woman possessed and I went to the driver's window knocked on the window and said open the window and he did like why he didn't just drive off I don't know and I said you've got to make a choice who's it to be me or her and he just said I want to be on my own and I said okay I'll help you pack and then (laughs) I looked at the woman and this and I don't know where this came from but it was brilliant I said to the woman the next time you have sex with my husband in the back of our car remember to take your skimpy yellow knickers with you and I completely made that up (laughs) because because I wanted her to think that he'd slept with someone else and I don't know where that came from I I hadn't planned to say that and the the look on her face was just brilliant she said I don't wear yellow knickers and I just turned away and drove drove home and I was just I was just satisfied that I'd made her think that maybe he was cheating on her as well and I drove home he actually came back that night, slept on the sofa, and then the next morning I helped him pack and he drove off into the sunset. And then it was really good, actually, because he was with her for about a year, but then he was cheating on her with somebody else. So we lived in L.A., and when he was in L.A., he was with her, and then he was in, when he was in Manchester, where he was a lot, he was with somebody else, and then after a year they both found out about each other and they both binned him. So that was kind of satisfying. Wow. Oh my God, there's so much there. Um, I can't believe you had, people call it the balls, don't they? Or let's call it the ovaries. Can't believe Mm. you had the ovaries to like ring up the woman that you found him sending messages with and then also go and find him. What? Why do you think you did those things? Because I was mad. He'd gone out to a meeting and he'd come back and he was sitting in the car texting And so I went up and the car window was open. So I went up to, he didn't know I was coming and I grabbed the phone out of his hand and so I could read the conversation. And I was so angry. What I did actually, I carried on the conversation because 
she said something like, oh, I can't wait to see you tomorrow. And so I said, so what would you like to do with me tomorrow? But I, it was me texting, not him. And when she kind of revealed her bad intentions, I phoned her up and said, what are you doing sending these texts to my husband? I don't, it was just mad. I mean, do, wouldn't anyone do that? Like you catch somebody red, red-handed, wouldn't you confront them? I don't know. I Not my ex-husband, but someone's cheated on me before and I found out who they were like sexting with and I never contacted her. Yeah. But I'm I'm not saying either of us is wrong or right. So, but I think yeah. it's just interesting that, you know, you did that. I think I was more, I felt sorry for that person because that we were both getting a lie. Right. But this woman knew that he was married and she was married as well. But you, I love that you confronted them. <laughs> like, I sort of wish I'd done it now. How did it make you feel when you'd done it? Oh, I was just mad. I was just really angry. And at that point, I guess I was just trying to warn her off. And it didn't work, obviously. If somebody wants to have an affair with somebody, they're going to find a way, aren't they? Um, Yeah, I was just like mama bear, I guess, trying to save my marriage, trying to keep my family together. I don't know. Do you know what I did as well, actually? I phoned her husband. I rang her husband. Wow. and And he was really rude to me and horrible. He was really um, indignant and 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 disinterested and treated me. I think she'd warned him because I think I said to her, if you do this again, I'll call your husband. And I don't know how I'd found his number. I have no idea how I got his number, but I somehow got his number. But he was really ungrateful that I was telling him that his wife was having an affair with my husband. And he was really mean and horrible, like just a a nasty man. Do you think he didn't believe you because she told him some story? I think she preempted it probably by saying, oh, you might get a call from this mad woman who that's that's the impression that I got that because I I might call him. So she'd obviously warned him that some mad woman and I was a bit of a mad woman. I mean, the. When you're in that situation, you do, you do present <laughs> as a woman a bit possessed. So, uh, yeah, I was a bit mad. And it's interesting that you said that you were really angry, you know, when you found them in the car. Yeah. You were really angry at her rather than your husband. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Why didn't you direct your anger at him or did that come later? I really, really don't know the answer to that. I really don't. I suppose I'd... I've been angry at him for so many years, so many times. It was maybe it was a novelty. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Really, really don't know why. It was partly because of her demeanor with me. She didn't act guilty and like she'd been caught doing something bad. She acted like I was an annoyance who was interfering with her wonderful day with this wonderful new lover that she had. And that really riled me. <laughs> Also, like he took her to a gas station and a car park of a supermarket. These don't sound like highly romantic dates. No. Well, I think they'd they'd met somewhere else and then gone to the supermarket car park to maybe chat. And then when I get met them in the gas station, I think they were filling they were actually getting petrol to oh, okay. go somewhere. I think they were on their way. I God knows where they were on their way to. That wasn't the whole date. Just, <laughs> I presume not. No, he was when I was tracking him. He was moving in the car. I just happened to find like that was at the point when I actually locked eyes with them. And so after that point, 
you know, when you said I'm going to help you pack and then he came back and slept on the sofa and moved out the next day. Did you ever confront him afterwards about the cheating and what had happened or was it sort of a moment of that's it, move on? Yeah, I mean, we ended up, we had about a year of being at each other's, not each other's throats, but not getting on. And I think largely that's because he was still in a kind of relationship with her. So I could never accept, you know, a cordial relationship with him while he was with that horrible woman. Um, But then subsequently, after they broke up, we actually became pretty good friends and we were able, we, we ended up even doing a podcast together about it and he confessed everything. And we didn't, he actually didn't confess anything that I didn't already know about, but we were able to actually, and it was, it was really nice because we were able to sit across the table and laugh. We laughed about the car chase and, and that was really cathartic for me. And, and it was like a full circle. It's like we kind of mended everything and it was good. And I wasn't in a place where I wanted to get back with him. I was just really happy that the good that I'd always seen in him was actually genuine. And it was, there was a lot of goodness in the person. And I was just kind of glad that I was able to salvage a friendship from the relationship that was very cordial and that had no kind of resent, no lingering resentments, nothing that hadn't been done. And it was really good because he died. Like after we'd, after we'd done this, he, he literally died. And it was so nice that I was at peace with our relationship. Like I would, I would have hated for him to have died while we were at loggerheads after we'd broken up. You know, he's a father of my two kids. Like I don't want to, to be at loggerheads with anybody. Like life is too short. But I was just really grateful for the trajectory. We had a, a one horrible year of fighting and bickering and then five years of peace, really. I think that'll also be nice for people to hear listening that have had a similar situation. And in that time of infidelity, and if you find out someone's cheating, you know, you might never be able to even imagine a day when mm. you could laugh about it. And so hearing the fact that, you know, you you actually did that and went through that it's kind of a bit of hope as well isn't it of like it can happen yeah so you said you had this horrible year of not getting on yeah how did you go about healing yourself and also forgiving all of that stuff that's happened because you know as you said you have talked about it already on your podcast but he is famous was famous Mm. so Also, it must be difficult when that person you're trying to forget, forgive, is in the public eye. I mean, it didn't make any difference with him being in the public eye, really. Don't know, really. Just just by letting go of of resentment, like realising that if you hang on to all the resentment, all it's doing is poisoning you. Like resentment is... you're the person that's then you're letting them have more power over you it's really easy for me to sit here and say that now that I'm not in it and it's very difficult to un unresent isn't it it's very difficult to sort of get let go of it but you're doing yourself a favor like it's the best bit of self-care you can do letting go of resentments to somebody like then it sets you free like that day when I woke up two weeks after we'd broken up and thought oh get my life back I focused on how happy I was that that was the situation rather than a woe is me, oh, I put up with all that crap for so many years. So that was step one. And then step two is I threw myself into probably not a very wise thing to do, but 
threw myself into the online dating scene. It's like, and, and you know, smartened my act up, you know, did my hair and sort of a friend of mine signed me up on this dating site. And I just, I ended up, it was about probably a month after we, far too soon, really. And then about three months later, I went on my first date and then a whole new extravaganza of adventures began doing that which I also did a podcast about. And when we, when I'd made the first episode, because I talk about the car chase in it, I thought I'd better play it to him just because he's kind of men. I didn't mention, I didn't identify him, but I thought I better just let him hear this because it's sort of quite personal, really. And he loved it. And he, and I said, oh, they want me to talk about sex in this podcast. And I don't know how I feel about that. And he said, Angela, this is Hollywood. Just do it, do it. <laughs> And then from that conversation came the idea for me and him to do his podcast, which we recorded in over a period of about six months. It was all of his life in massive detail, including his drug addiction, his mental breakdowns, his infidelities, which I sat across a desk and confronted him with. And then literally 12 days after we finished recording it, he died. So it's like, wow, yeah, you can make this stuff up, really. Um, so, yeah, I'm just very grateful that everything happened in the way it did um and still kind of it's been a year and a bit since he died and I still kind of don't really believe that he's dead yet because I'm still working on putting together this podcast you know it's a massive a massive undertaking because I've ended up interviewing loads of other people and I see him every day on the screen so I think he's still around really so in a way that's helped me to heal I guess I don't know it's about putting a positive spin on everything it's about looking for what to be grateful for, isn't it? Rather than focusing on what's gone wrong, focus on what's gone right and focus on the gifts that you have rather than the impediments that you have and the and the the victimhood that you could wallow in if you if you're not careful. Like you get it when you divorce, when you break up with someone, it really is the opportunity to start a brand new chapter of your life. And it's up to you how you write that story. It's up to you how you frame your life. You can go to it from a place of positivity or you can go into it from a place of negativity. And you might as well just choose to be positive, really. Yeah, definitely. Although it can seem harder at the time, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. Heartbreak is one of the one of the most painful things that we ever have to deal with, rejection and heartbreak. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. It, it takes a while. But there really is another, you know, who knows who else is out there? I haven't met anyone that I'm, you know, I'm not married again or I haven't sort of found the person that I'm going to be with next. And and I also have the concern, like, will I ever find anybody again? <laughs> but, um, you know, at least you don't have to deal with the unpleasantness that you were dealing with when you were in the relationship. I mean, I'm assuming there that all relationships that break up were unpleasant to an extent. And I know that's not necessarily always the case but well I think they can be unpleasant in the fact that you're just unhappy and that's unpleasant even if there's nothing like infidelity or or drug addiction there are also cases where people thought everything was completely fine and then it all fell apart and it was a massive shock that people find out their wives had an affair or their husbands had an affair and maybe they weren't aware that there was something wrong from the other person's perspective in the relationship I don't know Yeah, there's so many different, you know, stories that have come up on this podcast and that come up with divorce. And and I think, you know, we've spoken on the podcast before about 
people whose partners were going through difficult times, whether it's for mental health reasons or addiction and and sort of trying to guide them through that. And then obviously at some point having to also look after yourself. Yeah. Do you think that perhaps, you know, earlier you said you stayed too long in the marriage. Do you think it's because, you know, he was in and out of rehab and and you said he was trying? Did you feel like you had to be there for him because he was going through something? Yeah, I just always was lured by the idea that if he could just not use drugs and drink, that he'd be a really good person. And that was true. He would have been. <laughs> and he was, and in the, the bits in the middle, he, he really was. And he'd never, ever gone, fuck it, I'm just going to use heroin for the rest of my life and not Like, he was always trying. It was like he was perpetually tormented by it. And that was why I stuck with him because I, I just felt that there was always hope that it would improve or that he would get better. And and obviously, you know, some people do get clean and do change their lives. But do you have any advice for anyone who's currently in that situation of being with a partner who has an addiction? And, you know, when's the point when you think this is having too big an effect on me or this is too much for my life? Wow. It's a great question. Impossible to really answer. Every every situation's different. I think the main message is it's not your job to fix them. And people in this situation often put their own lives on hold and focus all their attention and energy on trying to fix the addict. So your life just gets cast to one side and all the focus, your happiness is dependent on whether they're they're happy or not. And it's very unhealthy. But I'd never tell anyone to leave anybody. The whole, if you go into the 12-step circles, I went to meetings for a while myself. They very much preach the tough love message, which is, you know, cast them out. And I tried that, but I was very aware he could have died. You know, like tough love actually is very risky in terms of it does send them out to the elements. And and I don't know, I could never be perhaps as tough as perhaps I needed to be. I don't know. Number one, I think if if they're showing no sign of of ever wanting to get well, if they don't recognise that they have an issue, then that's a massive red flag. And I would say you're absolutely on a hiding to nothing. If, if you're with an addict who's using, who's happily using, who doesn't think that they've got a problem and isn't attempting to do anything about it, then that's an absolute no-brainer. You have to walk away unless you want to be miserable for the rest of your life. And if they are trying, then it's personal decision, isn't it? You, you either support them in that, or you support them until you run out of juice and think you can't do this anymore. But always, you have to remember that your life is just as important as their life, and you, you're not expected to sacrifice your life in order to try and save them. And you can't save them. They can only save themselves. You can make life difficult for them if they do use, but ultimately it's got to be down to them. And it's very, very difficult to get clean and stay sober it's that relapse rates are huge. And unless somebody's really, really on it, it's, it tends to be a, not necessarily a positive outcome. I don't know. I, I would, my heart goes out to anyone who's in that position because I know what it's like and it's not fun. And I'm interested to know, you know, and I, I, I definitely want to delve into the dating more, but now when you are meeting new people, are you very aware of your past of being with someone who had an addiction? 
Yeah, it's very much a red flag for me now. If, if somebody's got addiction issues, it turns me off hugely. I'm like, oh, don't want to go down that road again. Even, I would go as far as to say, even if somebody's in recovery, I also find it, because I've just been so enmeshed with that world and I don't really want to be in, around that world anymore. But I also find that I'm more attracted to people who are a bit edgy. You know, I'm, I'm not really attracted to conventional guys. So people with issues end up in my orbit more. But yet you just have to be aware that I'm not looking for a project. I'm looking for a partner, not a project. So, yeah, it's difficult. You know, a lot of my favourite people are addicts or use drugs and alcohol and they're really interested in great people. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be good for me to be in relationships with those people. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ding dong. It's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can make... 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. So let's um, delve a little bit into the world of dating because it is what your other podcast is about. Yes. And how old were you if you mind me asking when you got divorced and then were going into the world of online dating well when we broke up I was 53 so that's pretty old in the scheme of things to be <laughs> online dating and I looked 53 as well like I didn't look by the way this this zoom has got a filter on it I don't look as young as you're seeing me <laughs> you look lovely <laughs> and I'm sure and I, you look lovely in real life it, no, I don't know how to turn it off, but it takes about 20 years off me. So I really don't look like this. I was similar to you in that, yeah, within like, I think I'd, I'd only been broken up for like a couple of weeks before I went on my first dating app because I was just like, I just want to like flirt with some people and be distracted. Yeah, well, great thing to do. Why not get a bit of affirmation that you can be attractive and someone can find you attractive and that you're not going to be a spinster for the rest of your life like why not yeah and I really enjoyed I call it my sexual explosion my dating times I really enjoyed it but I was in my early 30s and I'd never been on dating apps because I'd been in relationships you know before that and so that was daunting for me as well but obviously you know you said I don't think it's old but you said you were in your 50s and obviously you had children so what what was that like kind of launching into the world of dating? Was it exciting or were you like, how do I tell people about my life? It was, ex yeah, it was exciting because, well, at first, I mean, I'd had two kids. I was quite chubby. I was looking pretty, I, I wasn't looking my best. And I realised I needed to have a bit of a, a redo of how I presented myself. So I started having having eyelash extensions and how I had my hair done and sort of just polished myself up a bit and then my friend took some pictures of me and it was kind of exciting oh can I actually get people to find me attractive like is that possible because I think I'd lost so much confidence over the years and partly my fault you know I'd kind of let myself go a bit as well so getting matches with people was actually like it was it was a huge boost to my ego and my confidence little did I know at the time that a lot of men just just swipe right on everybody and then when they <laughs> match they decide whether they're gonna but it didn't matter but what I did find and what I still find now is that it was so I I found men my age largely very unappealing and unattractive because they look so old like men my age look like old men. And so I was never picking them because to me, they were not attractive. And the odd few that were attractive, I never matched with. And I figured out it was because guys that look after themselves when they're older, but aren't gay, 
want a younger woman. They want an arm piece. Whereas men that that, that aren't so attractive, I just like I refuse to go out with somebody that I don't find attractive. So I ended up just like I didn't know about age settings. I didn't like say oh, I'm only 50 and above or whatever. I just picked everybody that I thought was attractive. And I ended up all of my matches virtually, like 95% of my matches were 20 years younger than me. And they were drop dead gorgeous men in their early 30s. And I couldn't believe it. I I I really couldn't believe that these really good looking men would be interested in me. And then I, I figured out that it was we have the whole MILF porn thing to thank for sexualizing the women over 40. You know, it's it's in those worlds, it's a trophy to go out with an or to sleep with an older woman. Like they've the MILF porn phenomenon has really sexualized 40 plus women, which is great for us. <laughs> And if anyone doesn't know, MILF stands for Mum, I'd Like to Fuck. And there's also GILF, which is Granny, yeah, I'd Like to Fuck. I know, I know. Because I actually am a step-grandmother. I couldn't possibly identify as a grandmother, but technically age-wise, I easily could be one. You said that obviously it's been sexualized with porn and stuff, the MILF and the GILF. Do you like that? Are you happy to be a trophy MILF? Well, no, that this is this is the design fault in the whole thing. So I thought, oh, these guys are all interested in having relationships with me, but they weren't really. They just wanted to go out and have sex with me or go out and have me on their arm. Like it was it was much harder to actually find a younger guy that really was interested in a a relationship, which ultimately is what I was looking for. So um, I did end up having a few short-term relationships. I was going to say, did you have some nice sexy times with some yeah, very I, attractive people? My very first Tinder date was a guy who had done a spread in Playgirl. He was 20 years younger than me. He had an enormous penis. <laughs> and um, he was a go-go dancer in the gay bars of Hollywood, but he was straight. And he'd wow. written a movie about a guy whose penis vanished in the night and reappeared as human to sabotage his love life so I thought he's clever and he's sexy and he's interesting so I went on the date with him and on the way to the date because I was a tv producer I thought oh there's an idea in this and on the way to the date I recorded myself talking into my phone about how I was feeling and then after the date I did the same thing and then I ended up doing that with every date that I went on and then I was playing them to a friend and like oh you've got to do a podcast about this so anyway the date that I had with the with the guy who'd done the spreading, pointing down to my groin here, the guy who'd done the spreading playgirl, we ended up becoming really good friends and we ended up working together on a project because he was a screenwriter. And he is my regular guest on the on the podcast. He's like, my not my co-host, but he every week we have a discussion and he's like a serial shagger. I mean, he literally has three or four women every week. Wow. Um, and has... The funniest stories. I mean, he's very, very sex positive, and but he's he calls himself an, an ethical fuckboy. So he is very upfront about just wanting to have sex with people, um, but he behaves in a, a respectful way, which I think is great. Like if that's what you are, then own it. Don't pretend that you want a girlfriend just so you can get somebody into bed, like a lot of them do. And also, some people, you know on the receiving end like when I just got divorced that's what I wanted an ethical right. fuck boy would have been ideal yeah, with a big penis yeah <laughs> yeah so I don't know about that though sometimes they're too big well that's true there is a limit there is a limit that's true 
but so so did you enjoy the date did you get on sexually or did it just become yeah. a friendship thing whoever listens to the podcast I the original version of it I was very coy I was like and we went back to my house and we had a lovely time and then the powers that be were like no 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 you have to talk about what actually happened so I do um so yeah we'd been talking for about three weeks and we got a really good rapport going he was obviously very intelligent which like I have to they have to be a certain level of intelligence for me to like them and it was very clear that we were going to have sex and we'd we'd even talked about condoms and it was you know because I was very new to all of this so I kind of it it was quite explicit that that was going to happen and his car was off the road so I drove to his house to pick him up to drive him back to my house um and I remember I got to his house and texted him saying I'm here and he was ages coming down to the car and a friend of mine had said oh he's probably a catfish because he had this these gorgeous pictures oh he's a catfish he's a cat and I sat in my car for 15 minutes thinking shit what I'm going to say to my friend oh no I'm so embarrassed and I was literally about to drive away. I thought I'd give him 15 minutes. And I was literally about to drive away. And then he appeared in the rear view mirror. And he got in the car. And even though he, he was 33, I was 53. When he got in the car, even though I knew he was 33, I thought he looked really, really shockingly young to me. Because I thought he was going to look about 45. But he didn't. He looked 33 because he was 33. <laughs> And I thought he was going to be really big because he was very muscly. And it was like he kind of, in front of my eyes, shrunk and became this like, and he wasn't small really, but it was, I I couldn't speak. I was so nervous. And there were no, I I was trying to say something and words wouldn't come out of my mouth. And then he leaned over, he's like, are you okay? Like, do you want me to go? And I said, no, it was just that my friend thought you might be a catfish. And then he put his hand his hand on my leg. He said, "Oh, don't worry, you're beautiful." And after that, I was like, oh. <laughs> "And we had a re- yeah." I mean, obviously, he knew what he was doing. Let's put it that way. Yeah. No, it was good. It was good. It was nice. We hung out. We had drinks. Like he wasn't just it wasn't just wham bam off you go kind of. <laughs> Although sometimes that's nice. Wham bam off you go. Well, I don't know. I like to have at least a connection with somebody. I I I have this thing where I never want to have a one night stand. I think my ego couldn't take it if someone slept with me once and then I never heard from them again. Like I, so, I have to kind of forge some sort of connection, friendship type thing. So, have you never had a one night stand? No, I've never had. No, I haven't. I don't think I have. I definitely have. Have you? Yeah. Do you, and does it not kind of mess with your ego a bit? No, I think it depends on what you want from it, I guess. None of my one night stands I've ever really wanted to see again. Right. It's okay. almost like a mutual, not that we've ever like discussed. I've I've not sort of said to someone, I'm going to have sex with you now and then not see you again. But I think there's sometimes it's like a spirit of the evening thing of like you meet the person and and like you both know it's just uh that night this environment this feeling thing I've had sex with people that I don't even swap numbers with at the end because we're both like we know what this is thank you for a lovely time bye I think it's upsetting when you've gone on a few dates with someone and then you have sex with them and then you don't hear from them right yeah. Or you've had sex with them a few times and then it like peters out, but you wanted there to be more. I find those upsetting, but yeah. I've yeah. been quite lucky with my 
one night stands that it's just been like but have you never thought oh I'd quite like to see him again like if he was if it was good no no so was it because it wasn't very good no they've always been good but it's always been just based on the physical right so I knew that it wouldn't sustain itself into anything more right than just a physical night so one physical night is great but probably if I met up with them again it wouldn't be as good because it wouldn't be as exciting and we'd have to sit down and talk to each other and then we'd realize that we didn't have that much in common so it's that sort of like you're attracted well we're attracted to each other like the feelings here, let's go for it. But we both know this isn't a long-term thing. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, see, my ego, I'd feel rejected. Even if I didn't really, well, wasn't really interested in them, I'd still want them to want me again. <laughs> my ego would be, I don't know, maybe I should just let that go. Maybe you're teaching me something here. <laughs> well, I think I'd weirdly never thought about it like that. I just thought about, it feels quite empowering to just listen to obviously it needs to be consensual and everything but to just listen to your body for an evening yeah and just go with like physical instinct rather than thinking am I gonna marry this person can I see them meeting my friends do we have a lot in common you know of that kind of during my sexual explosion which I've talked about a lot on the podcast I always wanted to have sex in a public toilet before I got married and but like but like a nicer one, like not ones with like right. bits of toilet paper on the floor, but like a toilet oh. that other people use, like not my private right. bathroom. And I ended up doing it in a private members club with a waiter who was on duty. Oh, nice. But, you know, obviously I had it in my head, but I never set out that evening to be like, I'm going to have sex with a waiter. But then things just progressed. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, married Sam would be... Like there was a point where I could have been like, no, and just, you know, cut it off. And then I was like, why though? Like, this is something I've always wanted to do. He's fit. He's attracted to me. He wants to have sex with me. And I just went with it. And that was one of those times where you're like, we were just flirting across the bar and then, you know. I would have wanted to see him again if if there was that kind of chemistry. Did you not want to see him again? Did you not want to go back to the restaurant? Well, I'm a member of the club, so I have oh. seen him again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but no, because, he, you know, he was a bit younger than me and it was just a lovely, I feel like it would have tarnished the experience. Right, it would actually. Because the experience was perfect. Did he proposition you and say, let's go in the toilet and have sex? Like, how did it happen? Yeah. Did he literally say that? Well, well we were flirting over drinks and then he started giving me free drinks and obviously I was on board with it and then um I was getting more flirty because I'd drunk more drinks and then we (laughs) sort of like kissed like little surreptitious kisses and then he was like meet me downstairs and I was like no and then I went to the, and the toilet was downstairs, but he wasn't like, meet me in the toilet. He was just like, meet yeah. me downstairs because there's a little, little lobby area outside the toilet. Yeah. And so later in the evening, I went to the loo and I came out and he was there in the lobby and he sort of grabbed me and kissed me. And then we had a little snog in the lobby. And then he like took my hand to go to lead me into the toilet. And that's when I was like, 
I could say no, but I'm going to do it. Was it the men's or the ladies? The ladies. Okay. And actually the cleaner came in at one point. And she saw you. Yeah, because we didn't go we didn't go into a cubicle. We went into the like makeup area down the with all the mirrors. So anybody could have walked in. Yeah, but that was the excitement of it. That's that was the whole like, oh my God, look oh. at me. I'm so thrilling now. I'm not married anymore. And it was very fun and like now looking back I'm like oh my god I don't think I could do that now I mean I'm in a relationship now but you know but it was at that time it was perfect it was like everything I wanted divorce life to be yeah and why why are people so uptight about that kind of stuff like why do the chattering classes not approve like why are a lot of people so hung up on letting yourself go from time to time I don't know I think I think that's kind of what the joy of divorce is. And I think that's also where some of the cliches of divorced women come from, of like crazy divorced lady dancing on the bar and trying to get with men younger than her. Right. Um, and I'm bisexual as well, so I got with women too. But I think it's it's because when you get divorced and you've been through a really difficult time and you sort of come out the other end and you can just focus on you again after focusing on lots of other things, there is a real freedom that you kind of don't have at any other point in your life. Because when you're like young and partying, the thing is always like, don't get pregnant, don't get a sexually transmitted disease, like be careful about your safety. And then when you're a bit older, you've been in the world for longer, maybe you feel like you can handle yourself a bit more, you know who you are a bit more. And so yeah, I think it is, it is sort of like, oh, I can actually let go now. Um and then some of us let go more than others. <laughs> yeah. And also we've become good at sex as well because yeah. we're, not, we're not young 22-year-olds who are still fumbling around. And I think men really appreciate that. And I think that, again, adds to the allure of the older woman for the younger man. They know, And also they know you're not going to be wanting kids. You're in your 50s. There's none of that that drama around children. There's, it's just altogether a dramatic involvement I think I think people were a bit worried about that with me because I was dating when I was like 32 so I think they were like oh "Oh, god her ovaries are ticking and I'm actually pregnant right now so (laughs) but that wasn't the plan really I wasn't like dating to have a baby but so you're still dating now yes so how long have you been single for well largely seven years I mean I've had like three relationships that have lasted four months or something and then I've got one other that is kind of like a situation ship that's gone on for about three years which is great so you're 60 now yeah don't oh god yeah I mean yeah I am no I love that and you're still enjoying dating well no I mean it's torturous isn't it the whole process like having to deal with people and but yeah when when I find nice ones yeah I mean I'm not serially dating um, but I'm still looking, you know, I'm still kind of out there when I can muster up the uh, the energy to, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's just, there's so many dead legs and it's, there's so many people that are just not right. But when you find a good one, it's nice and it's fun and yeah, so... I am still in the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it, it's great that you're dating and you've got the podcast about dating. And because I do, I get a lot of messages from people who listen to the podcast, a lot of people in their 60s, actually, who are like, can I date? Like, can I go on 
online dating apps and I'm always like yeah of course you can but I realize that me saying it you know still in my in my late 30s now but you know is not as convincing as someone who's actually doing it (laughs) I mean the, the message that I the overriding message of my podcast is if you find yourself single and you're over the age of 50 dust yourself off make the most of yourself get yourself out there and broaden your horizons don't just look for someone who's your age be open to meeting someone 10 20 years younger if you you might not meet your soulmate, but you'll have a great adventure and a great story to tell your friends. I ended up, though, going on dates just for the podcast. Like a guy sent me a picture of himself wearing a pink dress and said, would it be OK if I called you Daddy-O? Now, normally I, w- I wouldn't have gone out with him, but I thought, oh, this will be a good one. <laughs> so I found myself actually picking perhaps more extreme people just so I could talk about the dates. Um But it was just fundamentally very life affirming and very life enriching. Even the bad dates give you a really good story to tell your friends. So don't look upon it as an exercise in trying to find your soulmate. Look upon it as an exercise to just enhance your life and meet some people whose paths you wouldn't normally cross. I mean, I've ended up I've been in South Central LA meeting gang members. I've I've been all over LA meeting all people, brilliant people in different walks of life. And it's been really, really good fun. Okay, I might, I might not have found my next husband, but I've had really good fun and I've got some brilliant stories to tell as a result of it. And and I, why sit at home watching the telly when you can be out meeting people? And it'll, it, it just gives you a boost. Also, getting these matches with people gives you your whole confidence a boost it's I think as long as you have an open mind and a positive attitude and you're willing to frame even your crappy dates positively as oh that was a funny story then what is there to lose really it's again it's about your outlook you can either be you can either have gone through the tunnel and be in the sunshine or you can be in the quagmire and just choose to do it in the sunshine like that date in the sunshine yeah um, so can you tell us the name of your podcast and where we can find it, please? The dating one and your other one. Yes, it's called Accidentally MILF, Online Dating Adventures After 50. And we've had a big issue over A lot of people are saying that I shouldn't have a podcast that has the word MILF in the title because it'll put people off because it's too saucy. What do you think about that? I just Is that off-putting to people? Well, my podcast is called The Divorce Social and everyone told me not to put divorce in the title because it would put people off. But actually, I think it's how people find the podcast. So exactly. um, I think I'm quite saucy anyway. So I love the title of your podcast. Thank you. I I don't think I'm going to change it. And the other the other one is called the Paul Ryder Tapes. Um, So my ex-husband is Paul Ryder, who was the bass player of the Happy Mondays. So uh, that one is a it's funny is his mum's in it there's a lot of kind of northern heart and comedy in it um just comedy characters that talk about his life and also he talks in great depth about his drug addiction and mental health breakdowns and the infidelity and the car in fact the car chase is in both podcasts the car chase is in the milf podcast as a kind of scene setter for the whole thing and we talk about it as well so uh 
and now it's in the divorce social and now it's in the divorce so (laughs) oh I'm I'm highly honored thank you so much for for having me it's been really nice to meet you and I think we, we should talk again I'd like I'd like you to come on mine actually if you've got some good dating stories please I have so many from my sexual explosion I want to um, hear more about the sexual explosion I'm always happy to tell more about the sexual explosion okay. so I'd love to come on and and where can people find you online and things and find your work accidentallymilf.com we're on all the socials angel I do it under a fake name which is angel bliss because when I first started doing it I thought I didn't want my kids to really know, but they're 21 and 23 now, and one of them's helping me with the social media for it. So <laughs> the cat's out Perfect. of the back. Yeah. And uh, paulrider.tv is the website for the Paul Rider tapes, but they're both on all the podcast platforms, so you find them pretty easily, I think. We've got a YouTube channel for his as well, because his is all on – we've done made like a TV show of it as well. Oh, wow. So channel so you could if you'd search on youtube for the paul rider tapes as i think we've done we've dropped 10 episodes so far and there's another 10 to go amazing well thank you so much thank you it's been a real pleasure talking to you you too oh hi thank you for listening to the divorce social with me samantha baines please leave us a review please please Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.